One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's January 22nd, 1983. And another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. Was Grand Slam champion Bjorn Borg about to retire? That was the question on every tennis fan's lips today in history in 1983, as rumours swirled around the charismatic Swede, who had a horde of fans, many of them young and female, sometimes referred to by the tabloids as... The Borgasm. <laughs> yeah, the significance of it was pretty momentous because, you know, even though now it's a bit hard to understand four decades on how big a deal this was, it would be like the modern sporting equivalent of, say, Lionel Messi retiring a decade ago before he'd taken on most of his major honours, or Lewis Hamilton quitting just before he'd won about half of his F1 titles. Like someone going out at the absolute top of their game. Yeah, I mean, he was in a weird limbo because he hadn't technically said that he was going to retire but he just wasn't playing any tennis and you know there's only so long you can carry on being a tennis pro if you're not playing any tournaments you know the whole of 1982 he'd only played one tournament the Monte Carlo Masters and he'd crashed out in the quarterfinals and even before then his last major win was the 1981 French Open the sixth time he'd won it so there was obviously speculation you know that rather than retire he was somehow just kind of ghosting the world of tennis. (laughs) Although Professional players close to him had known for a while. John McEnroe later wrote in his memoir that he knew in 1981, having a beer before a press conference, Bjorn Borg said to him, I'm quitting tennis and then went and gave a press conference and he talked about how great it was to be playing tennis again. Yeah, and it seems like what had happened was that he had basically burnt out, but nobody could really tell because of his really famous, calm, controlled demeanour. He was often contrasted with John McEnroe, who was obviously his on-court rival of the time, but also the fact that they had these conflicting personalities. Borg was seen as being, you know, the prototypical Swede, very in control, mm-hmm. and McEnroe's running around shouting at people. No one could really see what was happening inside, which was that Borg had just, his love of tennis, it was kind of sad, really, his love of tennis had just withered away. You know, he, he said it himself, that the passion just wasn't there. And his coach, Leonard Berglin, said, quote, that Borg had no real fighting spirit left. Mm. Yeah, when he talks about it now, he talks about the moment he lost to McEnroe at Wimbledon, which was the last time they played. That at that moment, he he realised that he should have been feeling enormous sorrow and shame. You know, like anyone who's been campaigning as long as him, like over 10 years to keep winning Wimbledon, should that should be the end of their world when they lose Wimbledon in, in that way. But instead, he was like, eh. And he realised that if he felt like that, if he wasn't that bothered to come back and fight it, He had to quit. Yeah, well, there was this famous encounter at Wimbledon in 1980 between the two, John McEnroe and Bjorn Borg. And they met in total 14 times throughout their careers. And it ended with a fairly inconclusive seven-all draw, which was part of the reason why McEnroe wanted him to go on. But in this 1980 Wimbledon final, there was just, it, it came to a head in the fourth set where Um, The tiebreaker was going on and on, and neither of them could break the other and win the set. 
And ultimately, McEnroe went on to win the set 18-6. But Bjorg somehow managed to come back and win the the final set uh, 8-6. And at that point, he evidently did still care about the game because he sank to his knees and was overwhelmed with this really rare display of emotion. You know, as you were saying, Rebecca, he was very famous for being cool so much so that he had the nickname the Iceborg. Um, but um, <laughs> and so it, funny how many of his character traits, by the way, are just what Swedish people are like. Yeah, so, <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Just, he's like, he's conservative, but he's inscrutable. Yeah. He's cool. What's his vibe? He's like, yeah, he's Swedish. Yeah, he's Swedish. He's a really <laughs> hot Swedish man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, but he obviously did still care at that point. And I think that from then, then that fire in the iceborg's belly, if you forgive that mixing up of metaphors, <laughs> kind of went out. Like the, that he just sort of stopped caring. And it seems like that was a big part of it. And part of it is that professional tennis is obviously such a grueling endeavor, and he hadn't been doing it for a really long time. Mm. Yeah, it's easy to see that he retired at 26 and think, oh, his career was cut short. But he had been playing at the, the top level longer than lots of other much older pros. You know, he was 15 when he first represented Sweden at the Davis Cup in 1972, and since then it had been, you know, when you're on the Grand Slam circuit as a tennis pro, I say that as though I have been on the Grand Slam <laughs> circuit as a tennis pro. But you know, the training and the conditioning is relentless. There is no break. Oh, I always found that too, Rebecca. You know, it, it is incredibly grueling, and he had been doing it for ages, and mm. it had been taking a real toll on his personal life as well. Because you know, he said himself later, a lot of that on-court composure resulted in him taking out his feelings off the court. You know, he said once he got back to the hotel room, it would all kind of fall apart. So there was a lot going on under the surface. And in the lobby of that hotel would be hordes of screaming teenage girls. Mm. You know, the borgasm didn't stop at Wimbledon, which in (laughs) itself he had to carry the responsibility for because that's, you know, I've been to Wimbledon in the last 10 years and still, you know, despite the rock and roll antics of Borg and McEnroe, it's not an arena where people encourage you to make noise. People still tut when you talk on the tennis court, right? (laughs) So he had screaming teenage girls and he was responsible for that. People were reporting it like, isn't this cool? You know, tennis has got cool. But at the same time, most of the people in Wimbledon would have been very dismissive of that. And then he goes back to the hotel and they're all there. And then he goes to the airport and they're all there. And that sounds fun. But if you are at that level of sport, taking everything really seriously, and he really did, his approach to fitness and well-being, you know, he didn't just work on his serve. He had a routine, always the same locker, always the same number of towels, didn't have sex, didn't shave whilst he was in the tournament, like, mm. which all seems like stuff sports people do now but wasn't something tennis people did then. Yeah. He had a lot of responsibility on his shoulders to keep things the way he wanted whilst all around him is just this complete chaos. I'm always amazed that those two things can go together at all in sport, this sort of quasi-monastic Uh, living that you have to do to keep your body and mind in the right shape while also having this sort of superstar status that comes with all of the trappings of money and fame and groupies and all of that you know like how do you keep those two things together and to try to also hold together a personal life must be nigh on impossible you know he was married and it must have been just the biggest tension that you could possibly place on a relationship yeah and it was obviously too little too late because his marriage did break up the following year he was married to another tennis pro the Romanian player Mariana Simeonescu and then there was also the professional side which was as I mentioned he hadn't been playing very much which meant that if he wanted to get back onto the Grand Slam circuit he faced the prospect of having to play qualification matches and it seemed like he just didn't have the grit to pick himself back up and start again from the bottom 
There are a couple of other factors as well. One is, I mean, this is very sort of technical, but there was a rule change which meant that the standard wooden racket had just been taken out of major tournaments. Mm. And obviously, Bjorn Borg, winner of five consecutive Grand Slams, probably could have learned how to use a slightly different racket. <laughs> but he was the master of the traditional wooden racket. And so that would have felt like a vulnerability to him and it would have required a lot more training to get used to the new racket. Mm. And the other is death threats. I think one of them was linked to the fact he'd posed when he was on tour in Israel in um, an Israeli military uniform. Yeah. But literally, like, for a photo call. <laughs> and then he had a death threat in New York. So, I mean, you can see, can't you, if you're thinking anyway, I'm not sure I've got the motivation for this, how all of this built up in him. Well, one of the things that he also said was a reason that he wanted to retire was because he wanted an actual life. And after he retired at the grand old age of 26, his life actually did get fairly eventful. He fathered a child with a teenager he met while he was judging a wet t-shirt competition. Um, And he then developed a business that collapsed and went into bankruptcy. And he ultimately needed his stomach pumped. Uh, There was some speculation that he had maybe tried to uh, take his own life, but he insisted that it was an episode of food poisoning, which went really, really, really wrong. And those two things don't have to be mutually exclusive, do they? I suppose, I suppose not. <laughs> trying, trying to destroy it's yourself re- with Chinese It's a really away. off prawn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that, you know, even later in life, he looked back on it as a freeing moment where he was able to go out and try different things. But then he became a pants magnate. He's huge, isn't he, yeah. in Sweden still? I mean, at least his name is. It's equivalent to Calvin Klein. That's how many boxer shorts and, and pants and trunks they sell right. out there. Basically innovating in... I've never worn a pair. Have you worn a pair, Arian? I think they're softer than your conventional cotton and they're sort of like in luminescent colours. Yeah. That's basically it, right? I've got a bunch of Swedish mates and pretty much half of them are like only clad in, uh, in Bjorn Borg underwear. And yes, one of them gave me a they pair. They just go out in the bath. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's all they wear when they're in Stockholm. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you know who else is almost always clad in Bjorn Borg underwear? Oh, John McEnroe. Yes, ah. I do. McEnroe. Publicly come out as a big fan. He says he wears them everywhere except in bed because that would be weird. And I was like, <laughs> would it? I Okay. Apparently they became good friends out of the spotlight of, you know, the Grand Slam circuit. They played together on the senior tour in the 1990s. They even did a collaboration in 2011. McEnroe designed some pants for Borg. <laughs> what, what, I, what I like about that story is it's conceivable, isn't it, that another luxury underwear brand might approach Bjorn Borg to design some pants, even if you didn't know he had any heritage in underwear. But no other underwear brand apart from Bjorn Borg would approach John McEnroe. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I feel like that was his one opportunity to put his name on some underwear that someone might conceivably wear. Now, this episode first aired last year exclusively to members of Club Retrospectors. Join today and unlock a new episode this Sunday. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. <laughs>